have been sacrificing our education to protest against your inaction. Ask the EU to stop caging animals. To reconcile the economy with our planet. Set a timeline for fossil fuel phase-out. To master the challenges of the digital age. None of the European nations will be part of the G8. It is about where we want to go and who we want to be. Hello there, welcome to Citizen Central, a podcast series all about the first transnational democracy instrument in the world, the European Citizens Initiative. Brought about back in the Lisbon Treaty, the ECI gives people the chance to pitch their own EU policies to the European Commission by gathering one million signatures from seven EU states. My name is Maeve McMahon, I'm an Irish reporter in Brussels, and on Citizen Central, I'll be finding out what exactly the ECI is, how you can launch or support one, and what drives people to give up their time and energy for a cause they care deeply about. Now, in Citizen Central, we will be checking in with experts and academics to get their take on ECI proposals. Law professors too. Professor Alberto Alamano, can you just remind our listeners how the ECI came about? The genesis of the European Citizen Initiatives um, really goes back to the 2003-2005 convention uh, that was tasked to establish a constitution uh, for the European Union. At the time, a group of citizens, notably coming from Germany, tried to basically sell the idea of a petition system uh, that already took place in Germany, centered on the initiative of citizens across Lander. And they basically sold the idea to the conventional treaty that uh, was established at the time. As we all know, that convention was not successful in having its own constitutional treaty to be adopted. That text fed into what we call the Lisbon Treaty, the last reform of the European Union treaties back in 2007-2009. And 95% of the original treaty, including the ECI, uh, remain in the Lisbon Treaty. And that's why in 2012, a regulation was adopted to actually allow this European citizen initiative to become actionable. And already in 2012, two ECIs were registered. And I'm very proud to say that I was one of the citizens registering the first one. And it was about the one single tariff. So the idea was to ask the European Commission to propose the phasing out of international roaming charges um, in order to avoid having citizens to pay extra money when making or receiving a call outside of their own country. The idea was coming from my students in one of my European uh, law classes in Paris. And they basically pushed me and think to think about an initiative that we could have registered by taking full advantage of this new instrument. And to make a long story short, I had a couple of very entrepreneurial students who basically said, OK, let's let's create some momentum. Uh, let's register such such an ECI and we immediately realize all the uh, limits uh, and difficulties in, in actually running this, this instrument. So now I know why you know so much about the ECI. You were one of the first people to get involved in one. But as a professor, Alberto, do you think it's an effective tool? The ECI carries an enormous potential because it's one of the few instruments that allow 
citizens to actually initiate some possible policies that might then take be taken up by the European institution, by the European policy cycle, in a way which is quite unknown to most of the member states. So citizens are allowed to set the agenda by starting off uh, new initiative and new ideas. Uh, ECIs um, in the past have been used to basically uh, break the monopoly of the European Commission by drawing the attention to members of the European Parliament uh, and basically sharing ideas with them. All right, Alberto, I knew you would give us some great insights to the ECI. If you're okay with it, I might be in touch again for other chapters of Citizen Central. Thank you so much for your time. Talk soon, bye. As Alberto said, anyone can launch an ECI. And on this first chapter of Citizen Central, we catch up with Paula Reyes, who's carrying out a PhD in the beautiful city of Salamanca, Spain, and is currently one of the leaders of the Friday for Future ECI that calls for more ambitious goals from the EU to fight climate change. A topic on everyone's mind right now, especially since a sobering report this past summer from the IPCC predicting more severe weather in the coming years and putting the blame for rising global temperatures on human activity. Paula, thank you so much for joining us on Citizen Central. Okay, thanks. Tell us about yourself. Uh, I am industrial engineering, but I realized when when I was working that, I don't know, the world needed to change. I started working in environmental management and with Fridays for Future, even though I have this PhD, I have learned a lot. And I'm the head of the education, the environmental education project. Well, Paola, can you just remind us, please, of the four big asks of your European Citizens Initiative? We want that European Union will adapt its national determining contributions targets under the Paris Agreement to achieve an 80% reduction of greenhouse gases emissions by 2030 in order to reach a net zero by 2035. And also we want that they adapt European climate legislation. This is more ambitious than the actual goal of the Green New Deal because the this actual goal is to decrease 60% of the internal emissions. So they do not consider uh, if your clothes are made in Bangladesh or your mobile phone is made in China, they do not consider those emissions. And it is so unfair because we import everything, right? And also international flights or sea transportation is not counted in those emissions. We want a tax called carbon cap regulation that this tax will be applied to European Union borders. In other words, imported products will be taxed according to the amount of greenhouse gases emitted during production. That way, the European companies that have environmental commitment can compete with international brands that right now they cannot compete because they don't have a good carbon regulation. We propose no free trade agreement will be signed with partner countries that do not follow a 1.5 compatible path according to Climate Action Tracker. But right now, Europe has agreement, agreements with Brazil, for example, that is destroying Amazon. And the last part that is really important, especially for me that I'm studying environmental education, is that the European Union will develop free educational materials for all member states' curricula 
on the effects of climate change. So they're the four big asks of your ECI, and we know the science, but in my daily work, I speak to industry. So to get their support for your ECI, what would you say to them? We, we have two different scenarios because we got the small companies that they don't have the knowledge or the money to adapt climate change. And then we got the big companies. They are strong enough to, to adapt to climate change and even to mitigate the effects. I think the power is in us as people. We, we are used to vote today and then in four years, and we are so quiet, believing that the government is going to do everything for us. But we have to use the power that we got in everyday life. We vote when we use one product against another product. So we have to use this power to be a powerful community of people committed with climate change and uh, work really hard to pressure the government and to pressure these big companies to really change their way of doing and to really change the system because the way they are working and the legislations that are established are not enough to change their reality. To be comfortable now cannot risk the the future, like an immediate future. I am dedicating two years, almost two years of my life to this initiative and to the people that is at home. It takes five minutes to help us achieve this dream. They just need three minutes to sign the petition and then two minutes to share it in their social media or in the WhatsApp and Telegram groups. And that way, with those kind of actions, even though it seems simple, but those are political actions. The, the webpage is eci.fridaysforfuture.org. You go there and you can sign. And well, you can follow our social media to know more about our, our initiative and campaigns. And remember, you take your children every day to school. You pay music lessons, English lessons to help them to have a good future. But a good future is only possible if we are ambitious with our climate goals. Okay, Paola, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your story and all that information on your ECI with us here on Citizen Central. Best of luck. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Well, let's get some insight into this ECI and bring in policy expert Annika Hedberg from Finland. Annika is the head of Sustainable Prosperity for the Europe Programme at the European Policy Centre. Annika, thanks for speaking to us here on Citizen Central. Thank you so much for inviting me. Annika, do you think the emission reduction plan could be more ambitious? And what sectors do you think will find the transition more complex and why? The reality is that 2030 is around the corner and already achieving a 55 reduction will be a major effort. But obviously the EU member states know the direction where we're heading and it's in our interest to find ways to reduce our emissions as quickly as possible. Europe and what we do here is not enough alone and it's essential that we use all means possible to engage in a race to the top what we need to do in Europe and more important than perhaps looking at increasing 
target at the moment, it is to achieve the 55% reduction by 2030 that the member states agree to. And my fear is that unfortunately, you member states have tended to be pretty good in setting goals, um, but they tend to fall behind in implementing. So it's essential that a strong focus is put now on implementation and we need to ensure that policies and financing are fully aligned with our climate goal. I guess it's because industry's pulling back, no? Do you think industry's really ready to make the shift? Actually, that's the positive message I would like to guess across. I think that the industry is making major efforts. I think there's a lot of buy-in in industry and there's actually a lot of businesses that are calling for a high ambition and they want to have a stable framework in which to operate. While EU budget, the EU spending in relation to national budgets, it's very small. It cannot solve all problems alone. In itself, it's a key instrument for us to get to 2030. However, I'm not fully convinced that it is sufficiently aligned with the goals we have set. I do see enormous gaps still in the policy and financing framework that we have created. So we're not always sending out the right signals for the business, for the industry themselves, in also in trying to leverage private funding for the priority areas that we have identified. So I think that there is, it's very important how we use EU tools to signal where we want to go. And funding and financing is one example of that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your expertise and analysis. Thank you. On Citizen Central, we love catching up and chatting to real citizens. So let's head now to the south of Germany to speak to Frederick, a retired physicist that after working in the car industry for years, became a climate activist at the ripe age of 65 with grandparents for future. I started on Twitter six years ago, and I must admit, uh, I didn't know too much about uh, climate change, but uh, I learned a lot from the deniers and then Greta became known and I was fascinated of this girl. She has so, so much emotions and such a clear message. And I felt it very deep in my heart. And so a couple of months later in summer, I joined my first demonstration and I had a sign that's called Grandpas for Future. And the, the kids, they were so friendly. They loved it. Local press shot a photo of me and they also loved it. So I, I felt it was a good thing. And then we had WhatsApp groups. How can we reach people above 60 years? Because, you know, they are conservative. They don't know want to know anything about climate. There was a demonstration all over the world with 1.5 million people. That was so great. I, I watched it on Twitter. It started in New Zealand, then in Europe, then in the United States. Well, a little bit fewer in the United States, but all over the world. I'm not a climate scientist, but I'm a physicist. And what is very simple to me is uh, the greenhouse gas effect and, you know, the curve that is shown in the news. And you can easily uh, study this by satellite. You just need a satellite and he measures what comes from the sun and what goes out from the earth. And there is a difference. And that's climate. So in the end, it gets very easy. And next point is the argument, um, oh, climate changed all the time. Yes, but that's cherry picking. Thousands of scientists came together and compared their results. And there's only one solution. Climate change is man-made. And if we could make it worse, we also can fix it. Although it only takes about five minutes to sign an ECI, launching one is another story. And gathering those one million signatures is time consuming. 
but sometimes it's worth it and you might just come back for more. Well, that was the case for our next guest, Helmut Boerterschaden, a PhD in biochemistry who launched a successful ECI on banning glyphosate a few years ago. Now, he's turning his attention to saving bees and impulsing biodiversity with a new ECI, asking to reduce the use of pesticides in agriculture while protecting pollinating crucial bees. Helmut, thank you so much for joining us on Citizen Central. Hi. First of all, Helmut, just tell us about yourself and your ECI. I'm working at an Austrian environmental NGO, Global 2000. We are part of Friends of the Earth and the ECI is called Safe Bees and Farmers. And this is what it aims for by reducing pesticides, because our, our aim was to use also the energy that we took from our first ECI to reach the goal of getting rid of pesticides. So essentially, Helmut, you can't get enough of ECIs. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it, it sounds like that, yeah. I mean, the, the first ECI that I was involved in was really very interesting and also very successful because we got the million signatures within less than five months. And we also got real good response from the, the European Commission because they responded to our second demand, which is to reform the authorization procedure for pesticides in Europe by a legislative proposal, which made it necessary for chemical industry to open their studies at the beginning of an authorization procedure in Europe. I think it's not sure that this time we also make it uh, because I think the pandemic made it quite difficult to get uh, signatures compared to our first ECI. But Why? Is that because the lack of physical contact? Because you would have thought like with the pandemic and so many people online working remotely, they would have had more time perhaps to, to dedicate to, to reading and learning and then in the end signing up to such a thing. This is something that maybe is true to some extent, but um, our plan for the ECI was to come out with uh, stories, to go to the media, to make press conferences. And all this was not possible when, when there was the, the, the lockdown. Then we found that people were not really interested. Everywhere in, in the media, there was only the one big issue, which was, of course, a big issue, which changed the life of everyone. And it was really difficult to get into the media. What a challenge. And I know, like, I work in the media, I work as a journalist for Euronews, and I know how tricky it is to crack into the media, because, of course, as a journalist, we get spammed with emails every single day. So it's also yeah. about capturing the hearts of the journalist in question and that she he or she can then pitch the story to, to the newsroom. And, of course, with COVID dominating the headlines all around the continent, I'm yeah. sure it has not been easy for you. On the one side, yeah, we, we say, yeah, it's, it's support. There are so many people, you know, that did sign our ECI. And of course, we also got some some political reactions to this ECI and maybe also to the process of, of the glyphosate discussion and, and the, first, the ECI before, because as, as you know, one month after we started and our main demand was to reduce pesticide use uh, by uh, 2030 by 80%. And then the new European Commission came out with the European Green Deal and one of the most popular goals of the European Green Deal um, to significantly reduce pesticides. This was the first step in December 2019. And this was the first time that the European Union was even talking about reducing the use of pesticides, not only reducing the risk. Then we were waiting for the farm to fork strategy. How significantly would that be? 
And by a 50% reduction, this was really more than we ever would have expected one year before. And do you think that insects, or do you fear that insects are the, the least cared about type of biodiversity? Remind our listeners why the bee population is suffering so much. Many people think only about honeybees, yeah, because they are the most prominent, they are the most often seen in nature, because they are cultivated by man, and, and we are losing insects of, of all kinds. Uh, but bees are in, in, in the center of the discussion because they are so pivotal for the whole uh, ecosystem. Because um, And the other reason why I think it's good also to, to use them as, as a key symbol for biodiversity is that they have a very important economic role. The last report of, of the IPPES did give some numbers, billions of dollars that uh, bees are just providing or they are worth uh, in, in, in their job for, for agriculture. Or it's, it's about more than honey. Uh, when, when you're talking about bees, it's, 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 it's apples, it's fruits, it's vegetables. It's, um, I think 80% of, of the plants out there are dependent on, on pollinators. Um, therefore, it's clear for, I think, everyone, bees are necessary for us to survive. The first idea when we started ECI was uh, to say save biodiversity, save bees. But uh, in, in, in our discussions, it was clear we, we can only achieve this together with farmers because farmers have to go the step into this transition to another kind of agriculture. Uh, in, in fact, what, what we see is that the decline of bees goes hand in hand with the decline of small scale farms because they are providing diverse agriculture, but they are those farms that have to close their doors. I mean, I think in, in the European Union, every three minutes, one farm has to, to, to leave. So this, this is what is happening now with, with the system that is um, supporting big farms and making it very difficult for, for small-scale farmers to survive. I guess the question is, if people are listening and they want to sign your ECI, but also they want to make a difference as a consumer, what advice would you give to them? What can they do? Of course, it makes a difference uh, not only for your health, but also for the ecosystem if, if you're supporting organic farming, if, if you're buying organic products. If all Europeans would say we want organic products, or at least 80%, the European landscape would look completely different. The problem is that organic food is more expensive in the way to produce it. But this doesn't help you as a private consumer when you're in the supermarket and when you see the money that I get for with, with my work is not enough yeah, to really buy everything organic. So, so also here, I think it's something that we should change in the system. So if the common agriculture policy would just support this kind of farming, I think it, it would work. Well, Helmut, thank you so much. It was, it was absolutely lovely speaking to you. Thanks for, for the chat and best of luck. Thank you. Well, let's get more on this ECI and bring in an expert on pollinators. We can head off now to UCD, that's the University College of Dublin, and speak to Dr. Dara Stanley. She's an ecologist and a well-known lecturer and researcher in Ireland. Great to have you with us here on Citizen Central. 
Great. Well, thank you very much for having me. Can you just tell us about yourself and your work? My research uh, to date has focused on pollinating insects. So these are bees and flies, butterflies, moths and other insects that actually interact with plants uh, and particularly flowers, helping them to reproduce. And when it comes to synthetic pesticides, you know, do you think they'll be gradually phased out or what do you think should happen? So the issue around bees and pesticides is something that has been on the agenda for, for a while now. Um, and I suppose pesticides are, are, are interesting. And when people talk about pesticides, they often think of just of insecticides. So these are compounds that are used to kill insects. But actually the term pesticides is more broad than that. The term pesticides includes uh, insecticides, but also fungicides that are used to control fungal diseases of plants and herbicides that are used to control weeds. But pesticides at the same time, while targeting crop pests or weeds or, or fungal diseases, they also come into contact with all of the other organisms that are present in farmland. For example, the earthworms in the soil, the carabid beetles um, that are eating crop pests or the pollinators that are pollinating crops. A lot of this biodiversity or a lot of these wild uh, animals and insects are actually providing services back to agriculture. So when pesticides are applied to crops to protect them from crop pests, these other organisms can also come into contact with them. Uh, and that's where uh, we've begun to realise that there are some issues. So traditionally or originally, uh, a lot of pesticides were uh, assumed to be relatively safe for bees and other pollinators. Um, but we've begun to realise over the last number of years, this might not be the case. And of course, when pesticides are registered, uh, there's a whole suite of tests they have to go through for human health, for environmental health and so on and so forth. But traditionally, these tests were only based on, on something we call LD50. Uh, and LD50, these are tests where these pesticides will be applied to bees and if they were at uh, levels that 50% of bees would die, then they were deemed to be unsafe. But what we've realised now through all, all the research that's come out is that these levels that are used when pesticides are initially registered to, to look at their safety, they need to be a bit more uh, stringent. So it's important to look not just at honeybees, but also to look at other bees, bumblebees and solitary bees, because we have a wide uh, diversity of bee species in the EU. In Ireland, for example, we have 99 bee species. So it's important to look not just at the honeybee, but at other bees as well, because not all bees respond in the same way. Would you just remind our listeners like like what food worldwide could look like without bees? So approximately 75% of all of the crops that we grow globally benefit in some way from pollination by uh, insects, largely. Uh, and these include things like fruit crops, nut crops, seed crops, things like apples, all of our berries, beans, peas. Um, I often say to people that we wouldn't have coffee or we wouldn't have chocolate, we wouldn't have a lot of the good things in life if it wasn't for insect pollination crops. In some instances, pollination services are managed, um, but the vast majority of pollination services in Europe and elsewhere, they're actually not provided by managed pollinators, they're provided by wild pollinators. Um, but the other option is to mechanically replicate it. And the only way of doing this really that we have is for humans to do it. And this requires getting a paintbrush and transferring from one flower to another. And that's simply not sustainable or possible on the scale at which we, we currently produce uh, our food. Thank you so much for joining us on Citizen Central and sharing all your expertise. No problem. It was great to chat. Now, the daughter of one of the very first Greek organic farmers was studying sociology in Germany when she inherited the family farm in southern Greece. She wasn't really into farming, but her motivation was pretty high. So to finish off our first chapter of Citizen Central, we head down south to ask Sheila Darmot what the difference between ways of farming are, how agriculture see what she's doing and what happens when you break the monocrop culture, quit the pesticides and turn a patch into a food forest. 
really traditional farming, the way they used to do, I don't know, 100 years ago in Greece, it was much more regenerative. You try to create like a complete uh, ecosystem. You plant, for example, support species in between your crop trees that are producing this organic matter or that are fixing nitrogen, supporting the biodiversity in your farm. I was speaking with some young farmers on my region and when they told me, I didn't know I can farm without all these chemicals. And this is what's really shocking me and what I really want to change, that people at least know they have the choice and that they know how successful you can farm without all this. And for me, this is the future also for regenerative farming, to have a healthy social ecosystem, to have healthy relationships with your customers, resilient relationships. Seeing all this biodiversity, I don't know, I think it's something unconsciously inside of human beings that we just feel more calm and more more in harmony if we're in a biodiverse place rather than if we're in a monoculture. Well, that brings this edition of Citizen Central to an end. Thank you so much to all our guests and of course to you for listening. And if you fancy finding out a little bit more about any of these ECIs, do check out our show notes. And you can also take a look at the ECI website or follow the ECI's individual social media channels. And of course, if you want to propose a brand new ECI, you can head over to the ECI forum to learn more about how to get started. I'm Maeve McMahon, and you've been listening to Citizen Central.